0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for his glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Please open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter thirteen. Genesis chapter thirteen. I don't know if there's anything more painful than coming face to face with your own sin. And there's nothing more precious than real forgiveness. Let's read Genesis 13, verses 1-4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev He and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I believe with all my heart that the, the greatest need in my life, the greatest need in this room is that You would pour out Your Spirit. That You would work through Your Word to give us faith to believe what You have said, to trust in what Jesus has done, and to be conformed into His image. So I beg You that You would move that your Holy Spirit would speak. And that you would make us like Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. If you were here last week, you know where Abram has been. Abram was a man. We don't know hardly anything about him other than that his, he and his family were worshipping idols. God comes to Abram. He says, I'm going to make your name great. He brings Abram into a land, a land that will later be called a land that was flowing with milk and honey, and he promises that in this land he's going to prosper him, he's going to protect him, and then he's going to use Abram to be a blessing to all the nations. What's interesting, though, is that he brings him into the land, and almost the first thing that we see happen in the land is that there's a famine in the land. Abram feels compelled to go down to Egypt, When he gets near to Egypt, he's scared over what will happen whenever the Egyptians see his wife. He knows that his wife is beautiful. And he's scared that the Egyptians will kill him in order to get to his wife. And so he concocts a plan and he gets his wife Sarah to lie and say that I'm really his sister. What he doesn't anticipate is that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, himself personally would take notice of Sarah and then bring Sarah into his own house as his wife. It's exactly what happens. She must have pleased him because he, he gives Abram all of this wealth. The Bible says that he, that he gave Abram sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels until Abram is rich. But then God strikes Pharaoh's house and the Bible says that He strikes Pharaoh with great plagues. Until Pharaoh is like, what is this you've done to me? Why did you lie to me? Take you and your wife and get out of here. To say that Abram has shamed his wife Is to put it mildly. We don't know how long this affair went on. But it appears that it went along long enough for Abram to get rich. From Pharaoh's hand. He's rich. But every sheep. And every cow. Every camel. Every dollar. Is a reminder that what he has is because of the terrible things that happen with his wife, because of his lies, and his fear, and his self-absorption. Can, can you imagine the scars that Sarah must have been wearing? Can you imagine the shame... And the humiliation, the damage that has been done, the sacred trust between husband and wife corroded. I read this text and I wonder, what was this trip back to the promised land like? I don't know what it looked like, but I imagine in my mind, I imagine them riding next to each other on a carriage. I wonder what the conversation must have been like as they rode back beside each other on the way home. I wonder how many hours they sat in silence. I wonder how many times Abram clumsily tried to start a conversation. I wonder how many times he said, I'm sorry. I wonder how many tears fell down her face. The text doesn't tell us. But I can imagine, and I don't think it's a stretch, that Abraham feels terrible. You probably know what I'm talking about. That feeling, you just feel rotten, sad. Disappointed with yourself. Can't stand and look in the mirror. So wishing you could press a rewind button. But you're just stuck with the consequences and with the mess that you've made. I have so many words I wish I could take back. And I have whole years of my life that I just wish I could redo. This morning, I hope that what Abram does next will change your life. Look at verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Nagav, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. Look at what the text says. At the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Think about this. Absolutely covered in guilt, full of regret, most likely the lowest point in his life, and what does he do? He goes back to the same place. Between Bethel and Ai, where he had built an altar in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, before going back to Egypt. Notice in verse 4 how the writer tries to bring this out twice with the word there. To the place of the altar which he had made there, formerly. And there, right there in that place... Abram called on the name of the Lord. There's actually another there in verse 3 that you can't see in English. But what I want you to see is that the author is trying to be crystal clear that Abram leaves the mess that he made in Egypt and he went back to the very place where he had last met with the Lord. It's shocking really. Because if you've been around people very long, you know that sin and guilt and shame and embarrassment are the very things that tend to keep people away from God. But look at what Abram does. In his sin, in his guilt, in his shame, he ran back to God. Think about what this means. Because Abram didn't sin in ignorance. There's there's nothing here that he just fell into it by accident. He had direct conversations with God. In Acts chapter 7 verse 2, it says that the God of glory appeared to him. And let's just be reminded what the God of glory said to him. He said in in chapter 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you... Cursed, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God Himself had made it clear to Abram Abram, I've got your back. You don't have to live in fear. I'm going to take care of you. And yet, Abram is so scared when he goes down to Egypt that he lied and he led his wife to lie and he sacrificed his wife's honor and purity and safety and even her wedding vows to protect himself. Let's just be reminded he didn't just abandon his wife into the arms of another man. Let's remember the kind of man that he gave his wife to. Let's be reminded what it was about Sarah that made her so appealing to Pharaoh. Do you remember? Verse 14. She's really good looking. In other words, he didn't just give his wife into the arms of another man. He gave his wife into the arms of of another man who was driven by lust. So of all things, why would Abram want to go back and face God? I you mean, listen to me very carefully. Because Abram was not a perfect man. There was lots that Abram needed to know about God. There was lots of work to be done in his character. But he knows one thing. Even though I have messed up royally. Even though I don't deserve to take another breath. Abram knew this, but if I go back to God, there I will find grace. And so in verse 4, Abram ran back to that old altar. And with guilt in his heart, and the blood of a sacrifice on his hands, the Bible says that he called out To the Lord. If you don't think grace is scandalous, go home and read what happens next. Read verses 14 through 17. Read chapter 14. Read chapter 17. Read chapter 15. Let me tell you how James summarizes it in the New Testament. James 2, verse 23, and I quote Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I'm still quoting. And he was called the friend of God. That is the wonderful scandal of grace. I wonder if there's anything about Abram's story that's resonating with you. At one time maybe you walked with God. You enjoyed him. You loved him. You woke up in the morning with good thoughts about him on your mind. You couldn't wait to commune with Him through His Word. You couldn't wait to get to worship and praise Him. And if somebody had come up to you and said, on a scale from 1 to 10, how's your relationship with God? You would say, oh, it's a 10. Somewhere along the way, you got off track. Maybe it started with one decisive, terrible decision that you made. Maybe you can't even trace it. It's just one little step, one little step, one little step, just a slow fade away from him. But either way, you're not where you used to be. And you're certainly not where you ought to be. I'm to beg you to take this text to heart. If you truly know God, just like Abram, you came to know Him at an altar. And I'm not talking about a table with flowers on it. I'm talking about the altar. The true altar who is also the sacrifice for sins. The altar whose name is Jesus. This text is calling out to you, come back. Come back. Come back, just like Abram pleading the blood of a sacrifice that has been made on your behalf, and you too will find grace. I'm, I'm, I just want to remind you I'm not the one saying this. The Bible says that as His Word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is speaking these things. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Isaiah 55, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon Right now, the Holy Spirit is pleading with you, Behold, lift up your eyes and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right now, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, In Him, in this Lamb, in Jesus Christ, in the One who is the altar, in the One who is the sacrifice, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches. Of His grace, I wonder though if there's somebody here saying, "Oh, that sounds really nice and all," but it, if you knew my sin, you knew it wouldn't be that easy. Can I remind you that it wasn't easy? Jesus never lied, never disloyal. Never did not one selfish thing, and yet he was beaten. Romans chapter 3 verse 25 reminds us that he was beaten for Abram's transgressions that looked like God just passed him over. And the reason God could just pass over Abram's transgressions is because Jesus Christ was punished and publicly shamed. Let me me read to you what what may be the most remarkable, humiliating, wonderful words ever written. Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, that is the the discipline for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. If I could read thought bubbles, I'm guessing that somebody would be saying, you know, Tommy, you tell us this every week, the same thing, every week, over and over and over again. And and Tommy, we just need to move on from here. Let's never move on from here. I'll tell you, you're not ready to move on from here until you stop sinning. I'll consider moving on from here when you stop making excuses and blaming other people for your sin. We'll get together and have a conversation about us moving on from here. Whenever, whenever when you sin, you stop avoiding God until you hope He's forgotten about it. Let's not move on from here. Let's not stop feeding on this gospel until we stop these stupid rituals of feeling terrible until we think we've sufficiently paid for our crime. Let's not move on from here until your sin is massive in your eyes and you hardly recognize sin in anybody else. Let's not move on from him until we stop hiding and pretending that we're better than we are. Let's not move on from here until we stop in our confessions of sin telling God things like, God, I am sorry. And if you forgive me, I promise I'll do better. That's not the gospel. The question of the age is the exact same question that the suicidal jailer had for Paul in Acts 16. Brothers, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, come back. He's saying he doesn't care whether it was one big thing that you really did wrong that led you down a dark path or whether you don't even know how you ended up here, but you've ended up in a place where your heart is hard to the Lord. You are weary of Him. However you got there, the God of the universe is saying, look at Abram, do and come back. Just like Abram to go back to the altar and say, God, I so wish I could change this. I have messed up, and I hate it. There's nothing that I can do, but I am coming, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ in my place, and I'm asking you, because of Him, to forgive me. You might need to come back this morning. I'm thinking of two people. In in my mind, I'm thinking of somebody who's here, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never been a follower of Jesus. But God has been kind enough to you to reveal to you that you need something. To reveal to you that you're not as good as you ought to be. Maybe this is the first time you heard this gospel. I encourage you to go home and read this book and see if what I'm saying is true. But, when the Lord Jesus reveals Himself to you and says, I really am the Son of God and I really am the Savior who has come to die in your place, I'm begging you, don't resist Him. And certainly don't try to add anything to Him. Trust Him. And you'll be called a friend of God. Let me make one more plea. It's a plea to the people of First Baptist Church that we never move on from this gospel. Let's be the kind of people who who continually welcome people back home to the Savior, the picture in my mind is like a, a porch light. Won't well, First Baptist Church would be a porch light. It says, "Come home, and you'll find a Savior whose heart is full of grace toward you." Lots of church people are quick to whisper and gossip. Than to secretly feel superior when people sin or stray. It's sad to say, but that's the truth. I tell you what, dude, just get into a group of of church people... And start talking about some scandal in the church or talk about somebody who's straying or somebody who's sinning. and, And notice how ears perk up. How people lean in to hear the story. There are lots of church people who are quick to wear masks. Say, I don't struggle. They may not say this, but their persona is, I don't struggle. I've never strayed. I don't really understand people who do. And that that creates an environment where everybody wears masks. Everybody feels this pressure to look like everything is great. We know it's not great. It's just a lie. Is That kind of environment becomes a graceless, powerless, spiritless, shallow, Lonely, snobby club. Not a church. It's a godless, spiritless club. But well, there's great power and deep connection and rugged joy when people who know their sin know the grace of a Savior enough to humbly share that sin with other people who know their sin and know the Savior enough to know how much they need the gospel. I want that kind of power. I want that kind of connection. And I want that kind of joy. I thought about it as we we're as we were singing songs today. I was like, well, we're singing some heavy songs today. It seems like to me, the more I'm honest about my sin, the more precious the gospel becomes to me. It's heavy, but it's a heavy joy. I want God to make us a church of people who are trusting Jesus. And 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 learning to love his people, not not with not with mere kindness, but to love each other with the gospel. And that he would put us on display like a porch light. Says, you come home to Jesus and you'll find grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in this room, you know every heart. You know every mask. You know every sin that is right now being protected. And you know every ounce of self-righteousness that keeps us blaming and making excuses and pretending we're better than we are. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and convict. And then I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us that there's a Savior who's made an end to all of our sin. I pray that we would eat Him and drink Him, trust Him, Love him. Humbly, zealously share him. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.